Our reading this morning comes from 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. You'll find that on page 1223 in the Church Bibles. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. We are looking at this one chapter which Neil read to us, and um, there won't be any cross-references. It would help you and aid me if you keep your Bible open. And uh, we are looking at uh, the whole of this chapter, but come back to it in two weeks' time from a different perspective. And then we will have completed uh, the whole series that we've had uh, in nine sermons in 2 Peter. I think for some it has been a bit of an endurance test. Uh, it's not easy uh, in terms of preparing sermons on a passage like this. I've never yet met a preacher who said, I would really love to preach sermons on uh, 2 Peter chapters 2 and 3. Say some difficult things and how do they apply to us today? And I guess it's not easy for listeners as well as for preachers. So, in chapter 3, 1 to 10, Peter returns now from exposing heresy or exposing heretics, what uh, the theologians call, this is a term that I picked up this week, and say, if, if you are orthodox, these are heterodox, the opposite, who are saying opposite things to the canon of truth as in the Bible. And throughout history, the church internally has struggled with these things. So, instead of exposing heretics and the heresy, now he wants to move and to encourage believers. To encourage believers. And I don't know if you've noticed, uh, and I confess that I hadn't, that uh, three times in this passage, Peter, in order to encourage these um, uh, believers, he calls them my dear friends. 
How extraordinary in the context of controversy and um, division, Peter now is speaking to them and he's remembering his own failure when he denied the Lord and he says, dear friends, three times. Just let's look at these in verse 1. Dear friends, or some of you have the translation, beloved. It's a very affectionate tone now that he comes to. So, instead of getting embroiled in this whole negative issue, he's had to speak about that, but now he wants to step up a gear and encourage. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you, look at this, to wholesome thinking, healthy thinking, not the unhealthy of which he's been talking about previously. So that's the first thing. And then he comes in verse 14 and he says, So then, my dear friends, see at verse 14, since you are looking forward to this, to what? That was the theme of all the songs that we've had this morning. To the coming of the Lord, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And then the final uh, affectionate tone that you have here is in verse 17. Therefore, my dear friends, since you already know this, well, if you know it, why are you saying it? I'm saying it in order to emphasize this. Be on your guard. So that you may not be carried away with or by error from lawless men and so on and so forth. So there you have those three lovely statements. And I, I would suggest to you, particularly those who are linked with home groups, just reflect on those and see how that impacts um, our relationships together. So let's start with the first. That's the lay of the land. Um, here is an appeal to remember. To remember. There you have it. Uh, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And I want to remind you. There you have it in verse 1. Now, there is a tendency for us as, as, as Christian people to forget. The whole of Peter's thrust here is to reinforce largely what they know. And he appeals repeatedly along this theme. You have it, look at verse 2. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the prophets, the commands given by our Lord and Saviour through his apostles. Know what you believe. Believe what you know. Look at verse 5. But they deliberately forget long ago that by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed by water out of water. And then verse 8. Do not forget this one thing. And what a massive thing this is. How, how can you put your whole scientific uh, rationale into a time scale like this? How can you do that? Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. When you think of the arid uh, debate that often exists about this. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. Bring that into your reckoning. To forget unintentionally is just being human. But he says in verse 5, some people are deliberately refusing to face the truth. 
On Monday, Hannah and I visited Hannah's uh, sister, brother-in-law, some of you will remember, uh, Professor John Blanchard, uh, a personal mentor to me, a great influence in my life for good. He, over the last two years, has had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, a very articulate, spiritual giant and a massive intellect. And now for me, as we went for a walk together to engage, how much he'd lost. How much he'd lost. Just think of the impact in terms of memory. Memory is a very precious thing. And what Peter is saying, or if you like, you, you spiritualize the, the ravages of Alzheimer's. And think that sometimes it can blight the church. How often... Uh, I, I've said this, and it's worthy of repeating. It's human nature, isn't it? We remember what we should forget, and conversely, forget what we should remember. Um, the Queen is going to meet Martin McGuinness in Northern Ireland on Tuesday. And the commentator said this. Here's the problem with the English and the Irish. It's this. The English have forgotten their history, and the Irish are always remembering it. Well, remembering and forgetting, and spiritualize that in terms of, dear friends, I appeal to you, remember the essentials, and don't get embroiled in secondary issues, which are so controversial and unhelpful. Look at verse 14. Here is an appeal, if the first is an appeal to remember, the second is an appeal to avoid reproach. We are Christian people. Clearly we're not perfect. But we are often the role model. The only Bible that some people are going to read is your life, whether you like it or not. So it's an appeal to avoid the reproach of those outside the church. It's so easy if we are living such flagrant, hypocritical, inconsistent lives that we're harsh with people with our tongue and our lives that drives them away from the gospel. So, verse 14. Dear friends, since you are looking forward to this coming, are we? I have to confess to you that I am not. In preparing this sermon and preparing the songs and hymns and thinking about this, the second coming, I ask you, is this teaching the Cinderella of the Evangelical Church? Let me ask you further. When did you last talk about the second coming? Been a long time for me. When did you last hear a sermon about the second coming? When did you last read a book? When I was young... It, we used to have it every Sunday. Maybe it was overkill. And that's the problem with Christian truth, isn't it? That, that which some people overemphasize, the next generation underemphasize. And that's why we have to keep coming back to God's Word. Here's an interesting thing. This is a great hymn book. Almost a thousand hymns and songs and psalms. There are ten hymns on the second coming. And this is the most conservative evangelical hymn book that we have. Have we got it wrong? I know it's easy for me to, to wave these things in the pulpit, but think about the second coming. That perhaps it helps you to live lives differently, to keep short accounts, to say, you know, all this business of embittered relationship, is it really worth it? 
in the light of eternity, I'm going to let it go. It's just not worth it. Or sometimes we say, life's too short. So it is. Let me tell you a story. Because the whole point of um, cynics and scoffers and heretics, it isn't just people out there. We are talking to us, me and you, in here now. The story is told about two brothers. These brothers had a, a reputation. They were well known for their dishonesty, for their dodgy deals, particularly in business. However, they continued to thrive and prosper until suddenly, unexpectedly, the younger one had a massive heart attack and died. The surviving brother, he found himself in search of a minister, a pastor, who would be willing to complete the finishing touches to the funeral. He finally made an offer to a minister that he found hard to refuse. He said this. He says, the surviving brother preparing the funeral. I will pay you a great sum if you will do just one thing. Just one thing for me. In eulogizing my brother in church, I want you to call him a saint. Well, uh, and he said this, if you do, I will give you a handsome reward, cash, of course. The minister, as sometimes ministers are, a very shrewd and pragmatic fellow, surprise, agreed to the proposition. Why not, he thought. After all, think what the money could do to the church building. And I could change my car and bump up my pension. This is a big sum of money. Well, when the funeral day arrived and the service began, the sanctuary was filled with all the business associates whom these brothers had um, dealt with unfairly and dishonestly. Now, unaware of this agreement between the minister and the brother, they were expecting to be vindicated by exposing this man's character. This is how the minister began with the eulogy, I quote. The man you see in the coffin today was a vile, debauched individual. He was a liar, a thief, a deceiver, a manipulator, and a hedonist. He destroyed the fortunes and careers of countless people, some of whom are here today. This man did every dirty, rotten, unconscionable thing you can think of. And then he took a deep breath and paused and said this. But, compared to his brother sitting here in front of me, he was a saint. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. You see the point? I know it took a long time to come, but he was a saint. Your comparisons are terribly superficial. It isn't too difficult to go through life and see somebody else and think, aren't I a saint? It depends who you're comparing yourself with. 
And the point that Peter is saying here is this, quite simply, I am not going to harangue the heretics and other churches and bash them and all this sort of thing. What I want to do is to stimulate you with wholesome thinking because most of us are like the rest of us. Don't kid yourself on because you've got your doctrine right and uh, you, you know your regular church and you do your Bible and hopefully you do and much more. It can, if we're not careful, generate a sense of saying, well, of course, I'm much better than everybody else to miss the point. It is an appeal to avoid the reproach. And this is the problem. It isn't just simply what you believe. Because how you believe, how you think, affects how you behave and how you relate. Change people's thinking and you will change people's relating. What does Peter want to do? In verse 14, he wants to reaffirm this link. Look at it again. This is what he's saying. Dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. He's giving us time. He's giving us time. Belief and behavior. Now, what does this mean personally? What's the application of it? It's this. Here we are. In an increasingly indifferent world where we're in information overload, in an indifferent world, we are called to be diligent. You can't do everything. You can do something. And you can do something where God has placed you. In an indifferent world, Be diligent, or negatively, if you like, don't be passive. The passivity of the church oftentimes has resulted in in a fragmenting between belief and behavior. That's its application. Here's another application. In, In a polluted or a contaminated world, be pure. When, when there's, there's a flood of, of, of pornography and, and, and uh, where the, the, the whole way of life is changing all the time and, and younger people are being drawn into all this sort of stuff and it's a big challenge, what, what's, what, what are we to do? In, in, a, in a contaminated world, be pure. We've been told we're not going to Medicroft today because there's an infection there. But how do you contract out of a world that's infected? You can't. You can't. You're rubbing shoulders all the time. Not perfect. Aim for it. But be pure. Don't be a spiritual drifter. So easy to drift. Effortless. But the point of the appeal here in verse 14 is this. You make every effort. You make every effort. And don't comfortably compare yourself with somebody else and say, I'm a saint. Come to the yardstick of God's truth and to the Lord Jesus. And thirdly, this is the, this is the application in, in a troubled world. A world that is in trouble. Be at peace. Let's narrow that down a bit. In a troubled home. In a troubled marriage. In, in trouble at work. Or with the grandchildren. With trouble. Are you jumping on the bandwagon and just reflecting trouble? You are called to be at peace.
peace. Do you remember what Jesus said? Not blessed are the peace lovers. Go through the world wanting to love peace. No, no. Blessed are the peacemakers. You try and make peace. And you'll be shot out from both ends. Ask yourself, in the light of this sermon, am I a peacemaker or a troublemaker? It's an appeal to avoid the reproach as the world crowds in upon us. And of course, the context here, as you see in verse 15, is the coming of the Lord. So I say to you again, in the light of eternity, why are you carrying so much baggage? Is it really worth it? An appeal to avoid the reproach of other people. An appeal to remember the important issues, lest spiritual Alzheimer's gets a grip on us and we've passed our sell-by date. And lastly, it's an appeal to be resolute. To be resolute. Look at verse 17. So, you see these three appeals. And the final one, Therefore, in the light of all of this, dear friends, since you already know this, as if Peter's saying, you know, I haven't told you anything you don't already know. This isn't so much to inform your mind, it is to impact your life. You see that? Dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away with error, rather to grow in grace. Don't just go with the flow. And this final beloved is, I think it's a flashback, and I don't want to read too much into this, but you remember when Peter denied the Lord three times. It's not easy. Uh, he's, and he used inappropriate language just to be with the crowd, not to isolate himself. And some of you are in situations, you're the only Christian. Well, Peter knows about that, and, and he's sympathetic when we just conform all the time, fit in. And what did Jesus say to him three times after the three denials? Care for my sheep, tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. And that's what he's trying to do here. Here, if you like, is a love that is prepared to challenge and expect change. I don't know if you listen to Desert Island Discs. I think it's a great program started by Roy Plumley years ago, and it's still very popular. People are interested in why folk choose certain songs, sometimes from childhood and so on. Often they're very famous people for different things. I found myself thinking, if I was um, doing a sort of a desert island text, not a desert island disc, and I was pressed, what if I was marooned on a desert island and I only could have um, one psalm and one verse? What would it be? It was an interesting exercise. I did that. And I narrowed down, at least in the, Old Test, in, the, in the New Testament, to one verse, one text. And it would be 
what Jesus said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this will all people know that you're my disciples. Now, it's not very helpful if you're alone on a desert island, but you're doing it in the hope that you're going to get off. And you say, now I'm surrounded by people. What a blessing. That's what he's saying. Peter is saying this. Be resolute. Challenge yourself and other people and expect to change. Don't get stuck. And when you read verse 17 carefully, the emphasis is both on knowing and living. So let's conclude. The progression that you can see here is this. In verse 1, with the background of confusion, the confusion between truth and error, it's the clarion call to remember truth. Stand by it. And in verse 14, the danger of compromise. Now, I don't mean being inflexible, but com compromising on fundamentally essential issues so that there's a blur between belief and behavior. And in verse 17, there is a constant danger of complacency. Truly, we're a people remarkably blessed in this church and in this wider community. And just for a moment, when you think of how folk here have given so sacrificially to the proposed buildings, it is a massive triumph of God's grace. But the point of complacency is this. Let's not blur the distinction between participating and spectating. Are you simply looking on? Or are you involved? Involvement in any context is always more challenging. Tonight, there will be millions of people who will say, why didn't he do that? The English, I mean. In the football. It's always easy when you're looking on. But when you're involved in the game, well, that's a different issue, isn't it? And what Peter is saying here is it's a call to be involved, to rub shoulders with people who are difficult, to be generous to people who said unkind things about you. You mean in church? Yes, I mean in church. Yes. So beware of skepticitis. It's spelled wrongly in order to emphasize. It is all pervasive. So two final comments. A. Here is something that you should know about in the present. And you come back to these opening verses. This is the age of the scoffer. The cynics. The atmosphere of cynicism towards anything remotely religious or spiritual. The Pope's last visit to the UK, Britain is the most secular country in Western Europe. What a statement to make. And in this secular world, 
Stand for spiritual things. Speak out for Jesus. Say you're a Christian. Tell people tomorrow you've been to church. This is the age of the cynics. I ask the question then, where is the great cry of the church? Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. And it isn't only a cry for the second coming. Come again to your church. Come again to my family. Come again into our church worship. Has it been silenced because we are sitting at ease? We need to pray and prepare so that we can prepare for today, so that we can plan for tomorrow. And lastly, something you should consider in the future. Verses 7 to 10. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction on ungodly men. But do not forget one thing. A day, dear friends, there it is again. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some think. The coming of the Lord, I think, has become, and I am as guilty as anybody, the sort of Cinderella of the evangelical church. If we were to think about my plans are subject to this great event, my relationships, my money, my, my home, my family, my work, all subject to that great event, then maybe our perspectives might change. Those who frequent the motorway and who travel up and down the country will see from time to time a big sign, neon sign, warning the people who frequent the motorway day in, day out of complacency. And it is this, tiredness kills. Spiritual tiredness kills too. And you can say, well, it's up to me. I can do it. I'm in control. Really? It's not just you. When you have an accident in the motorway, often it's a multiple pileup and innocent people are involved. So your spiritual life is, is, is a direct impact on other people's. Your spiritual tiredness, it kills, kills your prayer life. Kills your fellowship with other Christians. Eating away at praise and gratitude. Ask yourself, do you complain more than thank? Bring to reckoning this call, dear friends. Be on your guard. As much with yourself as with others. Beware of cynicism. It's all pervasive. Let's pray together.